Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, book by book, chapter by chapter. Here we are in Joshua chapter 4. And maybe you have a sense of deja vu, uh, because we just looked at this in chapter 3. It's the story of how the people of Israel crossed over the Jordan River, how the Jordan River was miraculously stopped up, just like the Red Sea. They passed over on dry ground. It was in the midst of the river that the Ark of the Covenant stood with the priests. And we had all this told us, right? And then we're getting the story all over again. So why do we have the same story uh, twice? I mean, you know, I suppose yesterday we talked about how it's a very important event. Um, Is that why it's twice? Or uh, is there something else going on here? Is there a little bit more to it? The details, if we pay close attention, are a little bit uh, different, not as in contradictory, but as in giving us a little bit more insight. So uh, looking forward to getting into this today. Joining us, we have one of our regular guests. We've got Pastor Warren Wirth, pastor at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Arnold, Missouri. I'm told, brother, that you're safe and sound and warm in your office. I hope everyone out there in St. Louis is uh, staying safe and warm right now. Oof. So right. good to have yeah, you with so us. Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad to be with you. And I'm where it's safe and warm and dry. And really, looking out the window right now, nothing's happening, but it's predicted to be starting so- shortly. And mm. it's, you know, not just snow, but you get the freezing rain and stuff, which uh, makes the roads pretty treacherous, which is why I decided I would do it from here rather than going to the studio this morning. Sounds sounds wise. Not that I think anybody is, uh, hardly anybody anyway, is in the studio today. <laughs> I think I think a lot of people are trying to do this remotely, and uh, good, good for them for just trying to stay safe. Anything you, uh, yeah, can do remotely, work from home, uh, good day for that if you're uh, in actually a whole lot of the country, not even just St. Louis, right? Right. The whole midsection of the country, the whole central states, and it looks on the weather map like the Dakotas are getting a blizzard and big winter storm moving across the center of the nation. There was even a, an, an airline uh, that went, uh, airliner that went off the taxiway in Kansas City earlier today. So the stuff that's yeah. out there, the western part of the state is headed this way now, ice and freezing rain. Yeah, yeah goodness, I heard about that. That's, that must have oh, that must have been scary to be on board that. But I'm glad everyone came out okay. But, yeah, looking at this chapter, though, right, it's, um like I was saying, it's interesting. It seems like we just get the same story kind of told all over again and, like, right next to each other. It's not the first time we've seen that. I mean, when we looked at numbers we saw how uh, there was a little bit of a repeat going on when it came to kind of the the, the first several events and even numbers itself kind of retold some of the things in exodus so we're no strangers to repetition but uh yeah it's kind of particular the way it's done here well the lord knows what he's doing as he speaks through his uh, holy writers and in this case you'll see that they advance the story and then kind of back up and fill in some details that were not given before. And today's story has especially the idea of uh, God's way of helping the people of Israel remember and learn from the miracle that he worked here in the crossing of the Jordan, and to pass that lesson on to future generations. So that's kind of a main thrust of this retelling of the story. Right. And it is interesting in that way, because yesterday we talked about how the theme seems to be, well, and back in chapter three, it was continuity. You know, Moses um, had God with him, and so does Joshua in the same way. Um, You've had the priests who are of the tribe of Levi. It's the same kind of priests from the same tribe um, and, and all the rest of it. And it seems like in, in a way, 
Um, it somehow this chapter has the same sort of theme retelling the story. And yet, as you were saying, we actually get it through different details. So I guess there's really just so many details that all support this theme. Um, we just, like, like you were saying, God knows what he's doing and he's giving it all to us um, so that we really just have this, uh, th- this theme, this continuity, this, this vision of the people of God extending through time and space clearly, clearly before us here. So uh, it's it, very cool to like be able to spend some time. It's interesting how narratives, how stories can can connect those sorts of big theological points like this. Um, it, you don't have to go to like the letters of Paul to like get theology. Like we're getting it right here in, in these stories in Joshua. That's that's correct. God, uh, as he tells his story, uh, points out how he is the one at work. He uses people like Moses, like Joshua, like the priests. He uses things like the Ark of the Covenant. But it's God who's the real actor here. Yahweh, the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth, uh, he is the one who's in control. And the obstacles that would humanly seem insurmountable, whether you're talking natural barriers like the Jordan River when it's at flood stage, or the enemies on the other side who are occupying the land that God has promised to his own people, all of these uh, insurmountable obstacles are nothing for God. He can easily uh, overcome those things and will and does and then fulfills his promises, fulfills his word, gives to his people what he promised to give his people, and he promises to be with them and calls them to trust him. And that's kind of a big deal of what's going on here is we're learning that God is making sure that they're focused on him, not themselves, on his power, not their power, his promises and what he's going to do. So he, so part of this repetition is he's going to tell them what he's going to do, He's going to do right. it, and then he's going to say what he did. <laughs> you know, so yeah. so uh, kind of he's preaching his own sermon uh, that way, as it were. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a good way of breaking it down. I mean, we've seen that before. That you know, I mean, it's interesting how you know, even in the last chapter, Joshua's like, okay, this is how it's going to go, right? They they have to be told beforehand. We saw that there were these three day waiting periods, right? But before the spies would come back to Joshua. Um, and before the people actually were able to cross, like, so it's not just like, we're just going to do things, but we're going to stop and we're going to think about it. And we're going to be told, um, what it means. Right. right. And then when we're done, we're going to stop and we're going to think about it. And we're going to, again, review what it, what it means. Like, it's not just doing things. It's, uh, it's having the significance. Um, it, it's, you know, God, uh, taking the time with us to, to preach his own sermon, as you were saying, I like the way you put that. So yeah, good stuff today looking at chapter four, uh, it kind of breaks up nicely actually into uh, several kind of bite-sized sections here. So that's good kind of a natural outline for us to follow. Uh, Before we get reading the first section, would you brother say a prayer for us and for everyone listening, and especially for everyone um, in the way of this uh, big storm that we have going on? I would be happy to. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, Heavenly Father, in your word, you tell us that your word is like the rain and snow that come down from heaven. 
It does not return without accomplishing its purpose. It succeeds in the thing for which you sent it. On this wintry day in the middle of our country, we pray that you would be with all the people, that you would keep them safe from harm and danger, uh, help people to stay where it's warm and and safe. And and those who must be out, we pray, O Lord, that you would send your holy angels to guard and keep them safe as well. And now as we prepare to study your word together, according to your promise, let your word have its saving purpose in our hearts, that we may grow in our faith in you, our creator and our redeemer, and that we may follow your word and remember all the events of old, whereby you saved your people, and trust that you will be with us in every circumstance now and see us safely to our heavenly home and across the Jordan River to the eternal promised land through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. Well, let's get started here. Like I said, the ESV helpfully breaks this down into several paragraphs. And the first one goes through verse 7. As, as you were mentioning, these first seven verses actually initially seem to advance uh, the storyline just a little bit before we actually go and do the repetition. Um, so in this way, it kind of is the conclusion to chapter 3. So let's go ahead and read these first seven verses, seeing the, the next steps that were taken uh, before we get back into looking at the story once again from a slightly different perspective. So the first seven verses here in the English Standard Version of Joshua chapter 4. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you, lo- where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, What do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. So advancing the story a little bit here, uh, a little bit more instruction, and we actually get this um, this idea of this this memorial being erected from these 12 stones here. Um, and, and I love this. We, we saw this, um, we, we, I mean, we saw this in numbers. Um, this might sound familiar from looking it over in Exodus. So often we get these comments about when your children ask, like, what are you going to tell your children, right? Like looking ahead to these future generations. Um, so in a lot of ways, it's just a very like fitting conclusion to what we had going on in chapter three, right? It is. And the way this, you know, the story is told here in Joshua, it isn't just a continuous chronological order. Rather, you know, the pattern is that he moves ahead and then goes back and fills in detail. He moves ahead and then goes back and and fills in some detail. And he does it by this pattern where he has the Lord giving instructions to Joshua. Joshua is then passing on the command to the people, and then finally the people carrying out the command. So uh, you've got that going on, and you've got some dovetailing or 
overlay, which is sort of this repeating. So you complete one section and then go back, add some detail, but, and it, uh, there's some overlapping. And that's what we have here is kind of overlapping. So as you said, it, it summarizes what you heard in the pre- previous chapter as we divide the chapters, but it also prepares you for the new material coming up in this chapter, because we're, he already mentioned in chapter three, uh, chapter 3, verse 12, Now therefore take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. But then it doesn't say right there what those men are going to do. Well, here we find out what those men are going to do. And so after the end of the previous chapter, it says the whole uh, people had already passed over. Well, now as you're reading this chapter, they haven't passed over. I mean, it's not that they didn't. It's that he's retelling that part of the story about what happened when they were passing over and they go back and they get these stones, which are going to be used as a memorial. In fact, what we're going to find out, there will actually be two memorials before the chapter is all said and done, one in the river and one uh, where they encamp on the western side of the river. And uh, and both of these memorials will be, just as you said, something that will be a sign. That's an interesting thing. God gives signs. Yeah, just as yeah. He set the rainbow in the sky as a sign you know, to, so people would remember what God did in the days of the flood of Noah, and God himself would see the bow and remember and not bring a flood upon the earth to destroy all flesh as he did in the days of Noah. And then here, too, this sign will be also a memorial, a remembrance of what God did, so that, uh, again, the children in the future are going to ask, what do these stones mean? And so that opens the door for people to explain the history, uh, the holy history, what God had been doing, what God promised to do, he actually did do, how God was faithful, raising up uh, a leader in the person of Joshua, just as he had done in Moses, just as he had brought them out of Egypt and across the Red Sea. Now he had, after 40 years of wandering the desert, he brings them across the Jordan River into the Promised Land and gave this land to them and defeated their enemies. And again, all these things which are leading up ultimately, and we want to remind our hearers, this is ultimately all about Jesus. All of this Old Testament stuff is not just stuff we can easily forget about and cut out of the Bible because it's, it's old and boring and doesn't have any relevance. This is all part of the larger story where God had promised after mankind's fall into sin that he would send a Savior. And he made those promises more and more specific. And and then he, to Abraham and to his seed after him, and then that he was going to bring the people into the promised land and displace the wicked and disobedient and unbelieving people and give this land to his people as their heritage because of what was going to take place there when, in the fullness of time, God would send forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem us. And that's how you have to see this in the bigger picture of God's story of salvation. And so here, too, all these things, even just like the Passover, right? And in fact, it's interesting that we're kind of uh, at the time of Passover, aren't we, here, when when we had the the timing of this given. So, Hmm. um, you know, so and and in the next chapter, we'll talk about the uh, renewal of of, uh, circumcision and some of these things that had been, uh, and and the first Passover in Canaan, all that will be coming up in the, the next chapter here. So, all of that is about 
you know, God making a way for people to remember and to pass on to the next generation the remembrance of his promises and his mighty acts of deliverance that he did in bringing them out of slavery to the land of promise, and looking forward, of course, to what those things could merely foreshadow and portend, the greater deliverance that we have in Jesus, who is the other Joshua, the real, the Lord saving us, who came to save us from something worse than Egyptian slavery, and to bring us into something better than an earthly promised land. Uh, So all of these things, and as you said uh, yesterday, you you see the baptismal reference there too, crossing through water and coming safe on the other side, and all of that by God's miraculous intervention, uh, nothing is too hard for the Lord. Right. right. Yeah, you know, that, that's well said. You've got, um, like you were saying, I mean, it really it really does go, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very neat sequence. And at the end of verse 17, uh, until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan, then verse 1, when all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan. So it just, you know, picks up right where it left off. Um, but you're right. It's interesting how some of these ideas get revisited. Um, you know, it is one of the things that I had to kind of like look twice a, a couple of times really. And I'm glad you mentioned the thing about the, uh, the two memorials. Cause we're going to, we're going to have to take a look at that when we get to verse uh, 17, what exactly is going on there? Because it does seem like one thing that makes chapter four a little bit interesting with the way that it tells the story is that it does make these little, um, these, these little comments that kind of go back and seem to backtrack. Like you were saying, it's kind of like forward a little back, a little forward, a little back, a little. Um, I think that chapter three was a little bit more straightforwardly like, you know, one, two, three, four, just in sequence. But but four is a little bit like that. And the first thing we see that's like that uh, is in verse four, like you were mentioning, where it says, Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel. And then what's it say? Whom he had appointed. And we're going to see that construction kind of a few times, right? Because um, that's signaling, right? Remember, like, because Joshua did this earlier. It's like you said, back in chapter three, um, what was it you said? It was verse 12, 12. right? You're right. He actually tells the people, hey, you know, take 12 men. Man. So it's interesting because he appointed the men by telling the people to pick them, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, it's okay. Delegation's good, right? <laughs> uh, but so so there, like you were saying, at that point, the purpose of them um, had had not been specified. It was just kind of like the, the first bit is um, find representatives, and like we were talking about yesterday in chapter three, the idea of representation and representative standing for the whole, very key. And and so for the moment, it's just enough that they get the idea that there is going to be some representatives for something going on. Uh, and then here in verse four, it's like these representatives are then finally actually given the task, you know, which which is interesting. It's uh you know, because they, they had to pick those guys without knowing what they were going to be doing. We don't know, you know, we don't know what they're going to be doing, but like they represent us. So they're going to have to be pretty, you know, good people that we feel pretty good about. And, you know, like uh, people who would be have been like upstanding and respected and and, and all the rest. And so it's, it is interesting um, how you see that, how, as you were saying, both um, the narration is filling in the details for us, but also... Um, how God and Joshua are filling in the details for the Israelites because they don't know the whole story as things are going along. Right. God reveals it to them as things are going on. Again, God gives the uh, instructions to Joshua. He gives them to the people, and the people carry it out. And in this case, 
you might say it's interesting that he uses the clergy class, if you will, the, the priests who are carrying the ark as God had instructed them to, and they're the ones standing in the water while God, who's manifesting himself at the Ark of the Covenant is the one who's holding back the water so that they can cross over safely on dry ground. And then the people from every other tribe, not the tribe of Levi, but all the other 12 tribes, and you've got, okay, so kind of like the laity are now instructed to do what God says through Joshua. And they pick up each man a stone, putting it on his shoulder from where the priests were standing in the water to carry it over to the other side where they're going to encamp and there's going to be that memorial so that they can have this reminder of what God did, a visual reminder of uh, something you can see and touch. And while you're looking at the Jordan River and it's flowing along like it's always has, you'll be reminded that on this occasion, you know, God miraculously held the water back. Something that's impossible to do, but not impossible for God. All things are possible for him. The one who created the heavens and the earth can do this. And he did this, intervening in history, intervening in nature in such a way as to allow his people to cross the river, this natural barricade that would have kept them out of the promised land, but God opens the way for them to cross over safely to the other side, and when they're safely across, the water returns, and now you have a memorial, something that will remind succeeding generations, this is what the Lord did. He worked this miracle for us, saving us, bringing us into the promised land, fulfilling his promises, and showing that we have among us a living God who is active and who keeps his promises. And here he is with Joshua, even as he had also been with Moses beforehand. Right. He will be with us. He will, in the future, continue to keep his promises. We don't need to be afraid of these pagan nations, which are listed again in the previous chapter, the Girgashites and the Jebusites and all these people. You know, they are currently the occupants of the land, but God will dispossess them and defeat them and fulfill his promises in giving the land to us so that he can graciously bless us as he has promised to Abraham right. and Isaac and Jacob and yeah, our continuity. forefathers. Yeah, right. very good. Well, we only have a couple minutes here before our break, so I do want to try to make sure that we get at least to the halfway point here so we stay on track. Um, so I'm just going to read verses 8 through, if you notice in the ESV, it actually stops uh, the paragraph right in the middle of verse 10. And so I, it, it actually makes sense. I'm going to go so ahead and read just these next several verses here, um, and then we'll probably to actually just take a pause for our break, and we can kind of discuss that uh, when we get back. So here's picking up the next several verses here um, after this comment about the memorial forever. Here's verse 8. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. For the priests bearing the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people, according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. 
All right. So uh, this is a pattern that we saw throughout Numbers, right, where, you know, God uh, gives these instructions through Moses, right, and then everyone does just like Moses said. And so here, similarly, again, the idea of the continuity, God gives these instructions for Joshua, and then they do just like the people said. But then we get this really interesting bit about, uh, it turns uh, out Joshua had done something, um, something that we maybe hadn't anticipated. There wasn't any description of it beforehand, but there seems like you were saying earlier, brother, this uh, second memorial. So when we get back after the break, I want to talk about that just a little bit. But everybody hang with us. We're looking at Joshua chapter four here on Thy Strong Word, and we'll be right back. Concord Matters is the program where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. And to do that, Christ-confessing Concordians read through and discuss the Book of Concord, which is our Lutheran confession of faith drawn from Holy Scripture, so that you too may be of one mind and confess with Christ. Be sure to listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Central on KFUO Radio or anytime on KFUO.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Until we convene for Concord again, keep confessing, church. Friday, January 17th, 2020, KFUO Radio thanks our day sponsors, two faithful listeners of KFUO in Fenton, Missouri. These listeners made a gift to KFUO Radio in loving memory of Alfred and Leona Monkey of Mount Olive, Illinois. Once again, we say thank you to two faithful listeners in Fenton, Missouri for helping us share the gospel and for being today's KFUO Day Sponsors. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Joshua chapter 4. Since we are doing things remotely today, um, I'm not sure we'll be able to take any live questions if you are listening live. Uh, though, if any questions do come up, you can always send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org, and maybe we can address some of those questions uh, next time when we get back into Joshua. But we're looking at we're looking at this chapter here. We just read through verse uh, ten and a half or nine and a half. I don't know how you count it. <laughs> um, also, want to make sure I give a quick shout out to our underwriters of the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Check them out at lhfmissions.org. Thank you guys for your support. Uh, today we're joined by Pastor Warren Worth, pastor of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Arnold, Missouri. Um, and, and before the break, so uh, we, he had mentioned actually something, and, and this is this is interesting the way it works out. Um, ESV has the paragraph, uh, a new paragraph picking up at verse 8. Uh, it probably belongs at verse 9 because it's, as you were saying, there seems to be, like, and kind of suddenly actually with the way that uh, it's presented here in our English translation, there's all of a sudden a second memorial thing. There's a second set of of 12 stones. Um, and, and you actually, it's, it's actually very emphatic um, and, and, and kind of obvious in the Hebrew, but not so much in our translation, because in verse 9, uh, actually the first words of, of verse 9 in Hebrew are, um, and 12 stones, right? Like, and, and, and as for 12 stones, right, um, that set up Joshua, 
right? So there's this idea that, um, you know, the people are going to be setting up 12 stones, but hey, also there's 12 stones that Joshua sets up. So that, that kind of hits you a little bit uh, with a little bit more warning when you're reading it in Hebrew. But yeah, it's not really introduced or explained beforehand. So what's going on here, brother, with this, uh, with this second memorial that's going on? Well, there's not a lot of additional material given us, so what we, we just understand that apparently, uh, whether God specifically told this to Joshua as an aside that is not recorded for us, or if whether it was a, an idea that Joshua had of his own, which God apparently approved of and blessed, uh, you, you have a, a double memorial. So the one that God specifically talked about, that the Lord specifically commanded, and that the people specifically carried out per his instructions, is the taking of the stones from the midst of the stream and carrying them over to the other side, to the land of Canaan, which God is giving them, and where they're going to encamp, and that's where they're going to uh, set them up as a memorial that people will see on the shore. But here we have stones that are being set up in the stream where the priests had stood. So that's the specific thing there, is the place where the feet of the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And there they, they also established this uh, stack of 12 stones, and again the 12 representing the 12 tribes. So uh, that sacred number uh, is uh, repeated. So what you got on the shore shows where the guy, where the people of Israel wound up, the stones where the priests stood remind us that's where the Lord was right. manifesting himself in the Ark of the Covenant while the priests were holding it, holding back the water until the people were safely aside on the other side. So by having both sides of this, you get both parts of the story memorialized in stone and about which children in the future would say, what do these stones mean? And it could be the ones in the stream and the ones on the shore. Yeah. The ones yeah. in the stream are saying, see over there those stones in the stream? That's where the priests stood. And when their souls, the soles of their feet were in the water, the water suddenly stopped flowing. It backed up upstream, and, and the stream uh, below where the priests were was dry, and we were able to cross a all of us, safely across this flooded uh, stream. We were able to get across to the promised land, and by taking up stones from the middle and putting them on the side, that's where we camped, right over there. See those stones over right. there? That's where we camped. That was our first camp, our first day in the promised land. After 40 years in the desert and after 400 years of slavery in Egypt, here God fulfilled all his promises and brought us here, and this is when it began the uh, fulfillment of those promises, the giving of the land to us, so it would be our heritage and our inheritance that we could pass on to our children and to our grandchildren, and God would continue to keep his promises until Messiah comes. And so that story would be told again and again. And as he says here in uh, the, the end of verse 9, they are there to this day. Now, obviously, right. what we're saying is to the day when this was being written down. So right. this indicates, <laughs> and we run into that a number of times in yeah. Joshua. And, and so what's going on is that 
the events that were in the past from the standpoint of the person writing them down is able to say those events really happened and the evidence of it is still here to the day as I'm writing them down now. And if you don't believe me, go out there and look and you can see for yourself, right? And that's kind of a significant thing there that, you know, you could, if you had any doubts about this, just boogie on down to the Jordan and uh, near Jericho, you're going to see this uh, memorial of 12 stones on the shore. And if you look out there in the water, you're going to see 12 stones out there too. And that's, you know, that's where it happened. That's where the priest stood with the Ark of the Covenant and the water was held back. And over there, that's where we camped. That was our first camp on this side of the Jordan as God began fulfilling his promises. And, you know, think about this when the uh, the Apostle Paul writes 1 Corinthians 15, that great chapter on the resurrection. You know, Mm -hmm. he's talking about a past event, that is, Jesus had he died for our sins as the scripture said he would he rose from the dead on the third day as scripture said he would and uh, there were witnesses of his resurrection and though some have fallen asleep many are still alive at the time that paul is writing those words and so what's the implication once again you know you've got these witnesses listen to them if you don't believe me go check it out more than 500 people saw jesus at one time after he rose from the dead so the the, there's god leaves himself a witness and the witness is in, in people to the things that he did but also then it can be in physical things. Uh, you know, in, in the case of, of the memorial stones here, the ones in the water and the ones in the shore are reminding of both parts of that story. God was the one who held back the water. He did it when the priests held the, were carrying the Ark of the Covenant and stood right there. And the stones from where they were, we also brought to the side. That's where we camped. See over there, that stack of stones? That's where we camped. And that's when God began uh, the completion of this part of the story of salvation. He gave us this land, the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey to be our inheritance. And then you can tell the rest of the story. He defeated our enemies and and so forth. And ultimately, you and I lead that into Jesus, because Jesus is the one who's defeated our enemies by his death on the cross. He's the one who rose from the dead. We have a remembrance of that too, don't we? Our baptism we remember what God did, and, and baptism is more than just a memorial. Actually, God is actively saving us in and through baptism. It's not just the water, it's the Word connected to that water that uh, makes baptism what is this life-giving water, rich in grace, where He washes away our sins, makes us His children, those who will inherit the promised land of heaven because of yeah. Jesus. And and the Lord's Supper, too, is more than just a memorial. It is a memorial, but much more. We remember what he did. It's a believing remembrance as here he is giving us his true body and his true blood, the body and blood that were given and shed on Calvary's cross for the forgiveness of our sins. What a wonderful thing that is as well. Yeah, in, indeed. And that's a really nice connection that, like, you know, it's interesting because, again, like, whenever you see Joshua, like, you know, the, the the next level reading is like, well, see Jesus there. And so, you know, how is Jesus setting up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan? And, uh, yeah, I like the connection that you were making, you know, like our Lord Jesus, um, you know, what's he set up in the Jordan, so to speak? He sets up the institution of, of baptism, right? He institutes baptism. Um, you know, and, and that's, of course, more than just a memorial. But then again, you know, the the event here, right, you know, because the memorial here is, uh, it, like you were saying, it's in some ways, 
it's more than just a memorial. It's a part of the event that took place. Um, it was, as you were saying, it's the fulfillment of salvation. God's miraculously shown up, right, um, to fulfill his promises. And that's what God does in baptism. He shows up to fulfill his promises. So, I mean, you've got the institution of baptism. You've got, of course, as you mentioned, also the institution of the Lord's Supper. Um, you know, also, I mean, I mean, didn't our Lord uh, set up 12 stones, uh, 12 pillars of the church, right, when he selected the 12 apostles, right? I mean, that's the language that you get um, in the New Testament, that the church is built on the foundation, the foundation. of the apostles and the prophets, right? So, uh, yeah, so there's, there's a lot of connections there with, like, what, what, how you can see our Lord um, active and at work here. And I also like, you know, there are a couple of things I really, I really like the way you put it. Um, another one was uh, in connection to uh, these stones and, and the question of, well, did, did God tell Joshua to do this or did Joshua kind of do this on his own? I, I find that idea that like maybe Joshua just did this. He just saw what was going on and was just like, hang on a second. I got to do something before the, before the water comes back. Right. Um, I really am intrigued by this idea because Honestly, in a lot of ways, I feel like Joshua would not have needed to be told to do this, right? Um, and, and I think that one of the signals we have is the repeated mention of the priest's feet, um, mm -hmm. <laughs> because we we might pass this over quickly. Uh, pass this over, um, but it's, the feet are mentioned three times in chapter four, twice in chapter two, because if we recall, or chapter three, if we recall in chapter three, I mean, what, what's the significance of the feet? Well, it's like as soon as the soles of their feet, right, like like come into contact with the river, right, God shows up and does something and, and performs this miracle, right? And it starts right. with their feet. I mean, so uh, it's really something because it's like their feet almost have been like uh, consecrated as a, as a kind of sacramental... Um, item here kind of like the, the the staff of uh of moses or like the the staff of uh aaron or something aaron. like that and, and so I, I think that it's very significant that when when joshua sees wow look at the there there's their feet god has shown up here in this spot um th this place has been made holy by his presence i mean this is what this is what they did every you see this all throughout the old testament every time god shows up someplace boom we're, we're we're putting something there right um i mean and that's of course what he was with them the whole time and that's, that's well, the yeah, he that's was right. with them the whole time and yes. his presence was you know when he instructed them to to make the ark of the covenant and how it was to be carried from place to place he went before them and so i'm sure you talked about that yesterday with pastor Thies about uh pastor tice going going uh ahead of the people and and how were they to know where they were going to go in their yeah. their wanderings in the desert that god went before them and here too god goes before them and it prepares the way and makes a way where there would be no way forward. So you're trapped at the Red Sea. That's not a problem for God. He makes the way across. You're trapped right, right. on this side of the Jordan because a river is flooded and you can't get across. No problem for God. He makes the way. And his having the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant and all that that covenant entails and all that you know the reminders of god's mighty works contained in that holy box you've got you know the 
the tables of stone on which God wrote with his finger. You have the golden jar with the manna. You've got Aaron's rod that had budded. You know, those were things where God had acted in the past and being in this special uh, container that God himself had given, God manifests his presence there. Uh, and again, the mercy seat and all that that entails with God's mercy and the covering and ultimately how that finds its fulfillment in Jesus who blood, whose blood shed on the cross. It takes away our sins and is our covering and where we find mercy and relief. Yeah, all of that. And right. here, yes, so these guys holding up that uh, Ark of the Covenant, they're their feet touched the water, and you're right. Big deal. Their feet touched the water, and where they stood, that's yeah, where yeah. God was doing something big. And the water backed up, and it was piled up, and, and they yeah. were able to go across the, the dry land as God provided. So, again, God working this great miracle, removing the barriers, removing the right. barriers to the promised land, which in Jesus, you know, he's removed the barriers for us. We mm-hmm. would be kept away from God because of our sin. We could not come to the Holy Land. We could not come to the promised land. But God made the way. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so, yeah, all this memorial of that is certainly a great way. So we can tell our children and our grandchildren so they will know that Jesus is the way. Yeah, that, that's yeah, an interesting that's, connection. I think that I think that usually when people think of you know I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I mean, at least when when I do, I, I think of like how early Christianity was called the way. How um, so much of the conversation in that time and place, in the in the setting of our Lord Jesus and His earthly ministry, uh, was about the way we should live, right? The way you should go. But uh, very interesting to think of it too. It's kind of like it's it's the the way through the water. It's like the way um, out of slavery. It's like a you know. It's kind of like I'm saying, like you know, I'm the the Exodus, the truth and the life, right? Or like I'm the the Jordan River crossing, the truth and the life. I mean, that's that's an interesting connection. Uh, so much more could be said. I want to make sure we only have like uh, like 17 minutes left here, so I want to make sure we take uh, some time to go over the second half of the chapter. Now, um, now, if we all can recall, we we paused like halfway through here, um, kind of ending at the end of this bit about this kind of step back, this kind of second memorial that, that Joshua sets up in recognition of the holiness of God, of course, as, as you were saying, brother, uh, he's been with them all along, but he shows up in this particular spot in this particular way in a very special way. Uh, but so here, picking it up here, um, after that's been set up, uh, at the middle of verse 10 now, the people passed over in haste. And when all the people had finished passing over, the ark of the Lord and the priests passed over before the people. The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the people of Israel, as Moses had told them. About 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him, just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. And the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests bearing the Ark of the Testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, Come up out of the Jordan. And when the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. 
So, uh, yeah, a little bit of a, a hearkening back to the episode, uh, again, with the Red Sea, you know, it's uh, it's not uh, his staff, right, or his hands that are, like, being lifted up or lowered, um, but it's at the command of Joshua, basically, that the that the water ends up, like, going back into place because of the priests. And so God, as, as it says there, as it said in Chapter 3, God is exalting Joshua in the sight of everyone, you know, I mean, it's... God could have just shown up and, you know, spoken with a voice out of heaven. Um, but uh, for the sake of pointing and, and leading his people um, to to Joshua, right, through Joshua, um, he's giving Joshua the opportunity to speak his words for him. Exactly. And so in this way, God is making it clear that he is with Joshua as he was with Moses, that he was uh, leading the people through Joshua as he was leading the people through Moses. He was continued to work with his mighty arm and his mighty miracles through Joshua as he had with Moses, and that the people do not need to be afraid. They can trust in the Lord. Don't trust in yourself. Don't trust in your might. You could not have done this yourself. Only the Lord, Yahweh, the God of the covenant, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who led us out of slavery in Egypt, the God who parted the Red Sea, now has parted the Jordan River so that we could come into the Promised Land. That God is with us. And so uh, trust in the Lord, listen to his servant Joshua as he leads you by God's command, and trust that the Lord will give you a bright future. Don't be afraid to march on into the promised land. Don't be afraid of Jericho with its uh, high walls and the people that are so mighty there. Don't be intimidated by that, because if God can do the impossible and get you across the Jordan in this miraculous way, then step by step, city by city, bit by bit, he will give you the promised land, as he said he would. And, you know, there's, here's another aspect of this, too, that we maybe don't think about, that the report of this mm-hmm. will also come to the ears of the enemies oh, who will tremble. Right, right. So mm-hmm. uh, just as they would know uh, about the miracle of God bringing them out of slavery in Egypt and crossing the Red Sea, now they realize, okay, this, this mighty God is with his people, and look how did they get across the river? Like yeah, that's right. Look, look, look what he just did. <laughs> here they are. And so, yeah. you know, so so there's a message for the enemies that they should yeah. tremble and, and fear, a message for the people that they should trust in the Lord, uh, and, and all of these things God is accomplishing by this deed. Right. Yeah, that's, that's a good point, reminder. We, we looked at that a little bit when we looked at Joshua chapter 2, because we found that on Rahab's li- lips that she had the report. You know, like, yeah, we, we've heard about how your God took you up out of Egypt and how uh, he, he just led you up here and you guys just totally thrashed uh, Sihon and, uh, and Og. And like, you know, so the report is going out. You know, I mean, and, and this is something, right? Because it's not just to, to intimidate everybody and to have them be scared, though, of course, I think that plays part of it. Um, we, we saw that, in, um, of course, in the whole Assyrian crisis in Isaiah, um, how, you know, God is actually using like this... Um, this like intimidation like, factor actually to protect his people um, and to to give them an advantage, but but also we saw with Ruth or with Rahab rather, uh, I mean th- this word of the might of God that this God is with them wherever they go that He is powerful on this side of the Jordan on that side of the Jordan wherever they go I mean this is this is the word of the Lord that He is the God of all the earth and that word seems to have worked faith 
in the heart of Rahab. So, I mean, this is actually uh, like a gracious thing. And so when we saw in the previous chapter that, you know, the water, it, it says it like goes all the way back up to uh, Adam or Adam, right? The city uh, beside uh, Z- Zarathon and like, um, you know, and all the way down to um, the Arabah. Like it's, it's this great um, stretch along the river, right? That would have been seen for some distance. Uh, this, is, this is a testimony to the peoples. Exactly. Um, maybe one other thing we should quickly throw in here before we get to the last verses of this chapter is the mention of the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad. And the yeah, 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 thank you. Over all armed for battle. Because, again, this harkens back to the fact yep. that God already did begin giving them their inheritance, because there's those who got their inheritance on the east side of the Jordan. But when they were given that, they were given the promise uh, and, and they were made to promise that they would join their brothers in going across the river to the exactly. other side, and that they, they weren't going to chicken out, and they were not going to discourage other people from crossing the Jordan and receiving their inheritance there. So you're looking back to what God did there, defeating their enemies on one side of the river, and now these people, in remembrance of that and fulfilling their vow— are crossing the river armed for battle because they're going to go with their brothers and are prepared that the Lord will lead them in battle. The Lord will fight their battles for them. The Lord will give them this good land, and then they can return across the river back to their inheritance, which God has already given them. So that's a good thing to remember as well. Yeah, no, thank you for bringing it up, because I do think that's really important. And um, it, it also it connects back to what we saw in, in chapter one, how, I mean, like, that's actually what we had. We had um, the, the tribe of Reuben and then along with, like, the half-tribe of Manasseh um, and Gad uh, coming up to Joshua and saying, like, we are going to fulfill our vow. We are going to follow you because, I mean, what did they say in chapter one? We believe that God is with you the way he was with Moses. And and lo and behold, what do you have in verse 14? Immediately after these guys are mentioned, on that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him just as they stood in awe of Moses, right? I mean, so so those two ideas go together, that God is, uh, he's not just, you know, making Joshua look good so that uh, he can feel good about himself, uh, but so that, he can lead the people of Israel, even, you know, these guys like the Reubenites, who, uh, as we know from numbers, had a little bit of a rebellious streak in them. Um, so it, it's it's all for the sake of God um, going after his sheep and directing them and shepherding them. So only just maybe like three minutes left here. Let's go ahead and finish up the chapter, and we have maybe a chance to look at maybe like one one or two more things here before we close out. So here's picking it up at verse 19 to the end. The people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they camped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones, which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. 
So a very fitting conclusion, right? I mean, that last verse just hammers home the point that we were just making. This is a message for the peoples, right? Um, that, that all may know, um, that, that future generations uh, may know. And so it's really just kind of um, tying everything together. Um, yeah, your, your thoughts, brother, as like we kind of get the conclusion to this story here. Well, again, this is a matter of, to this day, you know, Martin Luther in this small catechism, as the head of the family should teach his own household in a simple way, all these things, the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, baptism, the Holy Supper, confession and absolution. The head of the family needs to pass this on. And here, already you have that pattern established that God provides a way for people to pass it on. Children are going to ask, what does this mean? What do these stones mean? That gives you the opportunity to point to what the Lord did, what God did. He made promises. He fulfilled his promises. He brought us over on dry ground to the promised land as he promised he would, so that we may know that the Lord keeps his promises, and all those promises are fulfilled in Jesus. He is the one in whom all God's promises are yes and amen. He died and rose again so that we could have forgiveness of sins, so that we could come to the promised land of heaven. We pass through the waters of holy baptism and become his children, those who are heirs of everlasting life, so that we may fear, love, and trust in God above all things and receive from him what only he can give, forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much, brother. Um, yeah, just so much is there, right? Yeah, it was like retelling of the same episode, but I mean, thank God that we have that because there's a lot to soak in. So thank you for joining us and uh, for doing so even on this this cold day. Um, yeah, stay, stay warm and safe, everybody out there. And uh, thank you again, brother. And I look forward to having you on again soon. Blessings on the start of your 2020 and the rest of your epiphany season. Thank you. God bless you too. Thanks, brother. Everybody, that was Pastor Warren Wirth, pastor of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Arnold, Missouri. Uh, next time, we're moving on to uh, Joshua chapter 5. And so um, this actually, I think we're going to take a little bit of a detour. I think we finally, yes, yes, I think we actually get to go into a psalm. Uh, we haven't done a psalm in a good little while, so we'll take a little uh, break to go into a psalm. But then, yeah, we'll be going into Joshua chapter 5. Um, and, and yeah, it's about circumcision, right? And, and the people get circumcised, and you're thinking to yourself, like, this hardly seems like the time for this, Joshua. <laughs> um, but we see all these things fitting together. We've already foreshadowed it. Uh, this is about baptism. This is about continuity. This is about God um, working faith in his people, because really— that's the only thing that we need to have. God's the one who does the fighting for us. Jesus is the champion who holds the field forever. Until next time, everybody, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.